Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here. It's Wednesday. You know the vibes. It's time for another fire episode from us. Um, so today, we're actually super excited to bring on the guest. We have the man, the myth, the legend, and the face behind Better Wallet. His name is Mark Russell. He is a uh, finance creator, if you will. Um, he has an incredible story of going from foster care to, he calls it Wall Street, but he ended up working at Vanguard. And um, he's financially free from um, learning how finances work and, and implementing it in his daily life and then teaching others, right? He's built a massive platform of, I think, over 150,000 followers on Instagram. He has a podcast. And uh, he's one of those finance influencers that actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Mark's Mark's amazing. We actually, he's a friend of ours. We've, we've uh, met with him a couple of times in person. He's... Um, He's extremely smart. He's from humble beginnings, as he mentioned in the episode, where he he was in foster care until he was thirteen years old. Like he, and then he talks about you know emotionally kind of about his dad and the impact his dad, which his his adopted father had, uh, the impact he had on his life and the legacy that he left, and which motivated Mark to keep going, graduate college, work at Vanguard, then get into private equity, you know, make a significant income, and then use that income to become an entrepreneur, and then teach others how to do exactly what he was doing. And now he has courses and guides and lessons and, and entire communities and, and masterminds based in ha- teaching people how to become financially free so that they can do the things that they love. And Mark's doing it every day. He just recently moved from Philadelphia to Atlanta. We miss him. We want him back here in Philadelphia, but an, a great guy. And this episode, it gives you the tangible things to do with specific accounts like 529 account, Roth IRA, 401k. Like, What do you do? And, and he kind of walks everyone through, gives people a blueprint. Yeah, it's a mini master class with a blueprint on how to get your financial house in order. But for this one, I will say download the episode. If you're on your commute, it's going to be a little bit longer um, of an episode, but it's worth the entire listen. Like he he's just dropping bombs throughout the beginning of the episode. He walks through a story, but then we start getting into like through the middle chunk of the episode is that's where you get the tangible homework and, and actionable tips to, to you know change your life for the better. So without further ado, I think we should bring in Mark and let him tell a story. For real estate investors, going mobile is the next big thing for managing our properties. We like to have the power and resources in the palm of our hand. When we're hunting for deals, we're consistently go, go, go. Having RentReady's property management app is great for checking in on all our properties, especially when it's time to collect rent. With RentReady, we get the benefit of both mobile and web apps that allow us to collect rent from anywhere. We not only get instant notifications when rent is paid, but we also have the ability to send automatic reminders to tenants when rent is due or late. From finding the perfect tenant to collecting rent, everything an investor needs to build wealth and manage their investing portfolio can now be found under one roof with RentReady. The most exciting news is that RentReady gave us an exclusive 50% off promo code that can now be used by all of our Weekly Juice listeners. You just need to visit RentReady.com and enter the code JUICEBOT to get 50% off any RentReady plan. That is R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and enter the code JUICEBOT, J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D to receive 50% off any RentReady plan. 
As you know, we talk a lot about financial independence, building revenue streams, and buying yourself more income. Wanted to give our listeners a special opportunity to potentially add a different revenue stream for themselves and into their portfolio. Tune into episode 110 to hear Corey and I peel back a couple layers on something that we're investing in currently at the moment. Just gives you a snapshot of where we are in our journey and gives you the opportunity to invest as well. This specific opportunity is to invest in a YouTube content monetization channel. And we go through every single step of the way, how we got involved and all the ins and outs of it. And if you're interested, after listening to the episode, feel free to drop us a DM. We're happy to answer any questions that you have and we'll point you in the right direction. Mark, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the show today. I know we've met in person, have had dinner and kind of got to know you and, and heard your story before, but we want to share it with our listeners. So um, thanks again for joining us. About time, guys. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to be on. Um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to meet you guys in person and uh, kick it in, in Philly. And yeah, no, I'm excited to share the entire Better Wallet journey. Awesome, man. Yeah, I was about to say, you... You're the man, the myth, the legend behind Better Wallet. Um, so most of our listeners probably know you from IG. So um, if you are not following Mark, please do at Better Wallet um, on Instagram. And I'm sure you have a couple other social medias we can plug at the end too. But mm-hmm. yeah, man, take us take us through your story. Um, kind of how you grew up to where you reached financial independence. Just walk us through the story. I think people could uh, resonate that with that a lot. Definitely. So just overall crazy upbringing crazy story but it all started off in good old philadelphia north philadelphia born and raised um so born in uh kensington philadelphia um unfortunately both my parents were victims victims of drug abuse and when i was born i was born directly into um, foster care so after kind of going through foster care bouncing from home to home within pennsylvania then i was finally adopted at the age of 13 in a very small and low-income city or or town of Mount Union, Pennsylvania, which is directly south of State College, where Penn State is at. So I never really had like a mom and dad before. So that was like really interesting to like have someone that was responsible for me. Um, But both of them extremely loving. You know, my, my best friend was my dad. Like we did everything together, like when he wasn't working, but he worked really hard, odd jobs for a little bit. And then he started working in a warehouse um, where he basically moved um, boxes from like one conveyor belt to another. Um, That was just his job. And and, like, it was a really grueling job, but he loved doing it. And he taught me the importance of loving your job, no matter what you're doing, whether it be, you know, a janitor, you're an influencer online, or you do real estate, whatever it might be, do it um, as if like your life depended on it. So that gave me the grit and the work ethic that I have now. Um, so over time, you know, my, my parents said, Hey, like, I want you to go off to college. We weren't able to go to college. I want you to be different from all the kids that you're surrounded around who probably won't go off to college. Their parents didn't go off to college. And I said, okay, well, I don't really know what this college thing is. I hear about it like on TV and everything, but like, why me? Like, why, why can I just do the military? Like, they're like, no, we want you to go off to school. So um, luckily, I did well academically um, in my high school, um, and I did well in sports as well, but like mostly academically. And I applied to Penn State, not thinking I would ever get in because in my head, it was like this big school that people that look like me don't go to, (laughs) which is like, unless you play football. So I applied and got in, which was dope. And 
next thing you know, I'm on campus with no way of knowing how to pay for it. So, you know, $20,000 a year was the all in cost. And I remember looking at my student, my student aid uh, document and they were like, oh, well, you didn't, you, you don't get any student aid, even though we came from a low income family, you don't get any student aid, you owe us 20,000, you owe us $20,000. I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to pay it? Like, isn't your job to like, give me the money so I can pay for it. I don't have any money. I'm black. Like I'm left-handed, like, give me something. <laughs> like I, I went through foster <laughs> care and like, they literally had nothing for me. Um, there are scholarships out there where, you know, the, the odd scholarships where it's like, if you're left-handed, you can, you know, you get a thousand dollars. Like that's total BS. That's a real thing. Left-handed? Yeah. Yeah. Like I would like, if you look up, I don't know if they exist now, but before you would be able to go to whatever we looked at the time, it wasn't Google. Maybe it was Google. I'm not sure. But you could look at scholarships that were just odd scholarships for whatever reason. And there was one specifically if you're left handed. And I remember applying for it and never heard back. And there's other ones like if you're a foster kid, I applied, never heard back. There's obviously ones for people of color. I didn't get any of those. Um, maybe I was applying to the wrong ones, but um, none of that helped when I was trying to go through school in you know, 2008 which is another key point. I was looking for loans at the height of the financial crisis, which I didn't really know what the hell was going on. I didn't know anything about Wall Street. I didn't know anything about finances at the time, but I was trying to get a loan. Poor kid, trying to get a loan, no way of paying it back until I get a job. And that made things really, really hard. So in college, I, I worked a lot of odd jobs. I was selling plasma for a little bit. I was a uh, referee, I did, um, I was cutting hair. Like my first business was cutting hair out of my dorm room. And I had clients that would come in and like, they would just want, this is before you get like the fancy haircuts like you guys have. Like they just wanted like a buzz cut. Just give me a buzz cut, you know, give me you know, two on the side, whatever. And that's like what they they wanted. So, you know, cut their hair. That's how I put food on the table. Uh, in addition to being an RA, um, which helped me save a lot of money. Unfortunately, during the time, like you guys probably, like I was going and getting myself into credit card debt. You know, they were offering credit cards for t-shirts and I was like, cool, I want a t-shirt and I want this free money. So I found myself in credit card debt in addition to like working on these odd jobs and then also trying to maintain 18 credits per uh, semester. So at the end of my freshman year, my GPA was trash, as you could possibly imagine. Like, kid never went off to school doing all these odd jobs in order to pay for school and, you know, trying to find ways to study. And then you have all the other distractions that come along with Penn State. And they actually kicked me out of Penn State at the end of my freshman year, not only because of my GPA, but also because I couldn't pay the last remaining $900. $900. You guys know Penn State because you guys are Philly guys. Penn State has a lot of fucking money. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, 100%. Penn State has a lot of fucking money. And they kicked me out because of $900, which, I mean, now, luckily, I'm in a position where that's like nothing. But, like, at the time, that was a lot of money to me, but not – that's pennies to Penn State. But they kicked me out. I had to reapply to school and basically beg people to get me back into the university, luckily, through networking. So this is – one thing that I learned over my career is the power of networking and knowing people in very powerful uh, spaces. 
I knew the vice provost who reported directly to the dean of Penn State. And he and I, Mr. Terrell and I had a conversation and he was like, hey, I'm going to get you back into school. So did that, long story short, got back into Penn State. The day I got back into Penn State is when my dad passed away, right before my eyes. Mm. So he had a cardiac arrest. It was just me and my mom at the, uh, at the house. He passed away the same day that I got back in. So as you can imagine, it was a wild summer <laughs> in the middle of a financial crisis, right? So dad passed away, financial crisis, like try to get back in school, get back in. I still have no clue how I'm going to pay for my sophomore year, but had to make it work, right? So luckily, unluckily, when my dad passed, that was most of the money that we had. He was a breadwinner. And I had to rely on my mom's salary and then whatever money I brought in. Because of that, I got more student aid, uh, grant scholarships and loans, and that allowed me to finish out my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Got it. Cool. So, I mean, that's a that's a pretty humble upbringing. And, uh, you know, once people find out the position you're in now, they're going to see all the, the hard work and that went into to achieving that. So I guess that's next kind of what we want to talk about. You graduated from Penn State. And then I know when we met, you mentioned that you were at Vanguard for a while. Did you do that yep. right out of school? And yes, then sir. Yep. what did Vanguard help you learn about finances to then put you in a position to make some wealth for yourself? Definitely. So at Penn State, I did economics. I applied to a lot of different school or a lot of different uh, companies, Vanguard being one of those, not knowing what the hell Vanguard even did. Like I, I had zero clue. I just knew that they paid well and I was willing to move to Philly. That's the only thing. I, and I like their colors. Their colors are black and, and red. And I was like, I can, I can fuck with that. Like, <laughs> so um, just little basic shit. And I ended up getting into their rotational program, which is like this really prestigious program where they only select 20 people out of the country. And I'm with a bunch of just private equity kids, trust fund kids. And I'm just some kid from the hood coming in, learning about finance. So what I love about Vanguard is that they put things in layman's terms for the client. They also really care about the client. And I'm not just saying this, like I'm not a spokesperson. They're not paying me. I actually, you know, I don't work there anymore, but like they truly care about the end client and they taught people how to invest the right way. And they're really big on like taking a stand for investors because at the time you had a bunch of advisors out there charging, you know, front end fees, back end fees, a trail. They were robbing people blind. And Vanguard's like, you can get into our fund for less than 10 basis points. And people are like, oh my God, like this is crazy. They call it the Vanguard effect because Vanguard charges such low price because of how they're structured and how they move their money around. A lot of other people can't uh, keep up with that. A lot of other companies can't keep up with that. So they have to lower their fees. And in turn, across the country, across the world at this point, people have to lower their fees in order to keep up with Vanguard. But that's really good for you know the people out there that, you know, the regular people, the you know, the school teacher that lives in Wisconsin, right? Um, so I learned a lot about like just helping people manage your finances. I learned the basic of, of personal finance. Um, during the time I became a stockbroker. So within three months, I had to take two different exams, had to pass those in order to become a stockbroker. And then from there, I was helping people with their retirement funds. 
So if you call Vanguard, not, maybe not now, actually you could call them now, call them now and someone picks up, like let's say you have a 401k with them, you, you would have been talking to someone like me where I'm coming in. I don't know too much, but I know enough about 401ks. And I was helping you manage your 401k portfolio. And then also I was licensed to also talk about your brokerage account. Um, so again, like if you call in, you'll be talking to someone like me. So I learned a lot at a really young age. But what I truly learned at Vanguard is the power, again, of networking and asking the question. So I'm talking to people that mostly were retirees. They had nothing but time on their hands. And I would ask them like, hey, like you have a million dollars in your portfolio. How did you get there? You know, you own the business. How did you build that? How did you become debt free? Because I, I saw a lot of their financials. So I would ask those questions and they would stay on the line with me for hours. Just tell everyone wants to talk about themselves, Mark. So that's, right, that's exactly. That was, and I, I learned right as I'm talking about myself, right? Um, but no, yeah, like, I so, mean, like for you, that's a smart business. That's funny. Yeah, that's a smart move for you, right? Like to get to you're in a that's you just talk. We talked before the episode about leveling up and getting in the right rooms with people. You may yeah. not have been in the right room with them or the same room, but you're on the line with them. It's having conversations with people that are in a positions that you look up to. So what a perfect right. way for a 22 year old kid to learn how to, how to do it. That's awesome. Exactly. So like at that time I was, I was studying their habits. I remember like, I, I still have a notebook of me just taking down notes. Like here's what an ETF is and like why people choose ETFs over mutual funds. And like, I was learning about like custodial accounts, like custodial Roth IRAs, cause they had them set up for their kids. Like, okay, why are you doing that? Why not choose another option? And then, um, you know, I was able to rotate, uh, through different departments. That was like part of the program. So I went from the 401k department to the annuities department. I learned a lot about like life insurance and things like that. And then also I went into the 529 department, which is why I talk about 529s all the time and like college savings. And, um, and one of the other departments I was in, I talked specifically to people who had more than a million dollars at Vanguard, called our flag, flagship department. So as you can imagine, during that time, I learned a lot from a lot of different people. I learned a lot from a lot of the leaders within Vanguard that are still my mentors today. And that allowed me to really start the journey of, of Better Wallet at that time. Because as I was learning, I was applying it to everything else that I was doing outside of the nine to five. So how Better Wallet starts to intertwine into a lot of this stuff is I got to the point where people were telling me, about this like fire movement, like financially independent, retire early, right? And I'm like, oh, it's really fascinating because I don't know of anyone who was able to retire like on purpose, <laughs> like medically, you know, retire like because they're disabled, whatever, but not enough where they were able to accumulate enough money that they can live off of that money for the rest of their lives. And I damn sure didn't learn anything about doing that before the age of like 59 and a half. So one of my buddies, his name is Travis. He's actually the head of Student Loan Planner, um, randomly. He oh, was, I've uh, we've used his. I haven't, but um, people that I know have used his program, Student Loan Planner. That's awesome. Travis is yeah. the yeah. smartest person I know, and that was my like best friend when we we're at Vanguard. He was a trader. I worked um, in the five twenty nine department, but how we connected is like the the idea of being financially free. I remember talking to some of my other colleagues about that. And they're like, oh, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you be frugal, like in your 20s in order to be free? In your 30s? They didn't understand the concept 
But Travis and I were always talking about that. He introduced me to the fire movement. So with the fire movement, I was like, hey, like I need a budget. I need to be more frugal. I need to pay off debt. So I started going over that, uh, going through that journey. And at my time at Vanguard, I wasn't getting paid as much as I felt like I should have gotten paid. Um, so I left my leadership position at Vanguard within the 529 department to try to control the other side of the spectrum, like controlling how much money came into your pocket. Cause I already got like the budgeting and all that stuff down pat. So moving into private equity, Franklin Square down in the Navy Yard uh, in Philly, and I was able to make more money there. That allowed me to become debt free. So um, I know we were talking before the episode, like kind of walk through like what was the mindset with all that and like how I was able to achieve debt freedom. And it really comes down to two different things. I call it offense and defense. You have the offense of making more money. I think a lot of people focus on that. And I think it's extremely important because you can only decrease your expenses by so much. But it's so, so, so critical, especially if you're in your 20s or early 30s, to, to control your expenses. Um, so let it be your rent or like how much you're paying in taxes or how much you're paying to um, you know maintain your car or like having a car note. Like you want to keep all that under control. Or even going out, going out to different restaurants, which is pretty easy to do when you're in Philly, um, or how much you're drinking. Like you want to make sure you're controlling all that, you know, playing defense, but also making enough money in order to, uh, or making a lot of money or as much as you possibly can in order to widen that gap, right? So you want to have more money that you're you're keeping at the end of the month, and I use yeah. that money in order to pay down debt, and. Um, Luckily, over time, I was able to document that online. And that was like the, the genesis of Better Wallet. Cool. So um, once you did that online and then, or I'm sorry, once you created Better Wallet, and then at what point were you at a position where you felt like you were able to really teach this to other people mm-hmm. and leave your job? Because in private equity, you're starting to make some serious bills here. And I know at a certain right. point you said, I'm making enough money getting my own financial house in order. And then I want to teach other people, but I have enough that I can go out there and do it on my own without my nine to five job. At what point did that happen for you? Yeah. So when I was documenting my journey, I realized that my issue wasn't, I wasn't the only one that had the issue of like living paycheck to paycheck or just like trying to figure out how to pay off debt. So over time, I started connecting with people like you guys, where you know you're kind of doing you know, the same thing, or you just have the same mindset. And I'm like, okay, well, if they're doing it, then there's probably a bunch of other people that want to go along that journey, but they don't know where to start. So luckily, you know, the page was able to grow little by little. And at this time, professionally, I I moved to another company, so I went from private equity to fintech, and I was able to work up the ranks there. Um, SEI, which is out in um, over near Valley Forge. So I'm doing well in my professional career and I'm also teaching this stuff online. And then it just got to the point where, um, so you're mentioning like, you know, going and like maybe like quitting your job and like all that. It got to the point where I felt like there were so many people that needed help that I needed to start to charge for the time that I was I was devoting to helping people. And it didn't start with like a really expensive course or a mastermind or anything like that. I was offering budget templates for a dollar. <laughs> I was saying, hey, like, you know, if you needed like the first step 
to all of this is budgeting or having a money plan. Here's one for a dollar. And I donated uh, the vast majority of that to, to charity. But like I wanted people to just get started. But then you start getting more and more people saying, hey, like I want more products. I want more um, help. I want more coaching. So you start offering that again, not at, you know, not at really high price point. And I was also going and I was teaching people how to grow their Instagram page as well. Um, so we were talking before this about the debt-free um, or the debt-free, the Instagram growth manual. So I was selling that for like $30 and like there's been thousands of people who have downloaded it. So little by little, I was able to increase my income beyond my nine to five. I was able to continue to budget and be frugal and be really smart on like where my money was going. And again, you continue to widen that gap. But now that, you know, I'm, I was debt free at the time, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, I was able to put that money into investing. So that allowed me to boost my emergency fund um, for not only my personal side, but also business. And, um, you know, as I considered, you know, the fact that I was a financial advisor at the time, I was a stockbroker, I was one of the only black executives at SEI. I said, well, like, will I, do I want to give up this career to do this thing full time or not? Um, but that's, it goes along the, the same vein of like, you have to take a bet on yourself. Like I, I tell my mentees all the time, like there's a point in time in your life where you have to take a bet and you have to think about not only what are you risking, but what can you also gain? And um, actually about a year ago today, so the night, so today's the 15th, it was the 19th of, uh, of November is when I put in my two weeks at my uh, full-time job. And my boss thought I was absolutely insane. He didn't get it. He didn't, he had no clue why I was doing it. Um, but I ended up working out clearly. Yeah. Sounds yeah like I that. see your little smile there. Yeah. It ended up <laughs> like, yeah, we know, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. That's the stick it to the man, right? Yeah. Um, so first off, congratulations. You have an amazing story. And, and um, like I said, we're excited to, to share with our crew here. Can you, being that you do have a wealth of knowledge in this space, not only you know, teaching it on, on Instagram and, and social, but like even one-to-one peer-to-peer, can you give us kind of a semi blueprint for someone that's maybe, I don't know, trying to get their financial house in order, then we, we, it's very vague, right? So it's hard, right? It's like get rid of debt, but there's a lot of people that are, are about to be ready to start to invest, right? Or not sure when they can invest in there. There's the argument, Hey, should I pay it off, pay off all my debt first? Can I invest while I'm paying off my debt? So I'll have you tackle that. But then just kind of talk to each of the types of accounts out there, right? There's the 401k, the Roth IRA. I'm thinking you mentioned the 529 custodials for kids. Like, I'm just thinking if there's kind of a, almost like a blueprint or a funnel system that you'd recommend that people check off their, their checklist as they go down and as they grow their income. Um, because we get that question all the time. And I know that everyone has a, a different scenario. So it's mm-hmm. it's hard to answer that question, but just based on, um, you know, your, your wealth of knowledge there, just maybe some tips and tricks. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I feel like you're, <laughs> you're, you're leading in for me to, to plug my, uh, my checklist. Cause I actually have something just like that. Um, where there I have a go. 20, yeah. there we go. Perfect. Exactly. What I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, perfect alley-oop. I appreciate that. Um, but no, I, I have a completely free checklist that, because I, I get that, I had that question in my inbox. I felt like 
Daily. 10 to 20 times per week. Like everyone was like, okay, well, I want to get my finances in order. You talk about it. Like, how do I actually do that? Because, you know, like in this finance world that we're in now, especially on social media, you hear everything, right? You have to do, you have to go in real estate. Like people are talking about crypto. I don't talk about crypto much anymore, but like go in crypto, do like Forex trading. Like there's all these things that people make it seem like you have to do in order to get your finances in order. And it's just not, not true. But what it truly comes down to, and maybe we can plug this into the show notes if anyone wants it, it comes down to like first establishing the foundation, right? So like making sure you're on solid ground. Like you guys know stuff. You're in real estate. Like make sure you have a solid ground. Like what happens when you don't have a solid ground? You try to build a mansion on top of it. That bitch is going down, right? So like, yes. you want to make sure that your house isn't sinking. So you want to make sure you have that stable uh, foundation. So some of the things I have on the checklist is that you want to make sure you know how much money is actually coming in, which is like one of the easiest things that you can possibly do. Number two, you want to make sure you have a monthly budget. You want to have, um, on top of that, you want to have three to six months of an emergency fund put away just in case you lose your job because right now we're in the middle of a recession, people are losing jobs. You want to make sure you have that money put away so you can pay for your life expenses. And number four, make sure you have a sinking fund for large short-term purchases. What do I mean by that? So my car, so one thing about Atlanta, there's a lot of quirks about Atlanta, but one thing is that people love going through cars and they love trying to hotwire them. It's like this big thing. It's a longer story. We'll talk about it offline. Sounds like Tokyo Drift, dude. <laughs> Basically. So someone tried to get into my car um, when I was in LA. Long story short, they, they screwed it up. Like they broke the window. They tried to steal my car. So the uh, column that's around the steering wheel is now broken. So what would I have done in, you know, when I was 22, swiped a credit card, right? Figure out how I was going to pay for it later, which, you know, came out to be about $1,000 altogether. What do I do now? I have a sinking fund that I constantly put money into on a monthly basis. Even when I don't have an emergency, I don't have a situation that, you know, I, I need to use it. So I basically, I still swiped the credit card, but how do I go about paying it? Used the money from Ally in order to pay it off. So that, when it comes to your foundation, I think that's really important. I'll go back over it. Mark, how, does this, how does the sinking fund differ from the emergency fund then? No, how do you describe the two of those? Emergency fund is if you lose your job, are you able to pay for the expenses that you are going to incur month after month, right? So if you lose your, like, you still need to pay rent, you still need to pay your auto bill, all that stuff. So like, I'm going to make sure that it's all expenses three to six months. Sinking funds are more of like planned expenses, right? So I know something's going to happen to my car. Like when I was in Philly, like it was potholes, right? Like you, like every oh street God. has a pothole, you know, you're going to have to pay for tires. You know, you're going to have to pay for brakes. And you know you have to pay for your registration, your inspection, which in Georgia you actually don't have to pay for your inspection every single year, which is great. Um, but like there's reoccurring annual expenses that you have to pay. Or if you say, hey, like I want to go on vacation, like I'm going to Turks and Caicos next month, where that money come from? It came from a sinking fund. But that's different from an emergency fund, which is used for emergencies if you lose your job. A sinking fund is normally planned large expenses within the short so, term. On that, so you have three to six months of expenses for the emergency fund. What do you recommend for a sinking fund? Is it is, is it similar or 
it really depends on what you think that number is going to be. Like, for example, I know that, you know, I, I normally put about $2,000 into my um, into my sinking fund for my car because I know shit happens. It's probably I probably have to increase it next year because Atlanta is Atlanta. Um, but I know it's probably going to come out to about you know $2,000 probably because, you know, I have to get new brakes. Um, I have to get new tires, all that stuff. But it really depends on you. But for emergency fund, it's three to six months of all expenses should be put away in emergency fund, which you can use a high yield savings account for. Cool. So I, I get it. So basically, you you kind of estimate what you're going to use for the year in that account, right? And you stack that up to get to those amounts. Cool. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about the investment accounts then too. So like sure. once you have you're kind of going down the checklist here. Once you have the emergency fund, once you have the sinking fund, which are very important things for, you know, for rainy days, for defense, right? You're playing defense mm-hmm. there. Talk about the offense a little bit and like what you do to um, invest. And depending upon your situation, obviously I know it's different, but what have, what accounts do you recommend and, and what maybe formula do you recommend to know how much people should invest based on their income? Definitely. Um, so some of the things we can talk, we can, you know, start really basic, Make sure you're getting your retirement account in order. You know, let it be your 401k, 403b, um, SEP IRA, whatever it might be. You want to start there first. Put money away for retirement. I don't care what age you are, unless you're retirement age, that you should be putting money away for retirement. That's number one. Uh, number two, you want to make sure you take advantage of your employer match if you have one. Uh, there's so many people that won't put money into a retirement account because they think they're too young and they're like, I'm only using, I'm only losing 5% because I'm not putting that 5% in. I'm like, technically you're losing more of that because if you're getting a four to 5% match, you could have been getting that free money, you know, possibly up to 10% annually of your salary, um, which is obviously really important when, uh, when thinking about long-term retirement. Also, when it relates to your investing account, and this is all like foundational stuff, you want to make sure it's diversified because a lot of people, they'll go and they will build a portfolio that is just, you know, individual stocks, maybe some crypto, whatever, but you want to make sure it's diversified. Luckily, within your retirement, you don't have to worry about that as much because they don't give you non-diversified options. They tend to give you the, the typical ETFs and mutual funds and targeted funds. But in your traditional brokerage account, you want to make sure that it's broadly diversified. Um, and then, man, like if if you have kids, like I don't, do you guys have kids? No. No. All right. So when you when you have kids, you want to make sure you're investing for them as well. Um, so normally when I talk to clients when I was an advisor and I would ask, what are your investing goals? They say retirement. And I want to make sure my kids don't have to get the, you know, get it through the mud like I had to, right? So start investing for your kids. There is multiple ways of investing for your kids. Um, ones that I want you guys to take a look at would be like a Roth, a custodial Roth IRA if they're less than 18. Uh, you want to look at like a 529 account, which is uh, specifically earmarked for college, which I wish I had a 529 account. Um, sidebar, my roommate in college had a 529 plan. And that's when I first learned about them. Um, so he clearly rubbed that in my face. Um, he's a Northeast kid, um, <laughs> Northeast Philly kid. He rubbed it in my face. Like, you don't got any money, bro. I'm like, bro, I am broke. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so in terms of accounts to have set up, make sure you have a retirement account set up um, for 
for your foundation and then make sure you're setting up your kids as much as you can. And then you can start looking into the traditional brokerage accounts as well. But because they're not as tax advantage or not tax advantage at all, um, normally I recommend that last. And if you don't have a 401k, you can also look at an IRA, Roth IRA, um, or a traditional IRA. Um, and you can also do that in conjunction with your 401k as well. All right. I'll give you myself as a, as a case study because it's right. It's like hard to it's hard to put stuff together unless you have like, like someone's background. But like mm-hmm. for me, I have a 401k set up. I have um, I maxed out, you know, the employer match. I just due to taxes, I actually upped it to like 15 percent for, mm-hmm. for this year and, and all all kind of going um, just basically to offset some taxes here and like get, get more advantages that I can. But so I have the 401k, then I have the Roth IRA, then I have the the traditional brokerage account. Mm-hmm. Eventually, kids coming down the line. So I, as soon as that thing born, do you recommend the five twenty nine plus the custodial Roth? And then think about, and I'm trying not to like stutter over my words here, but like you have a certain amount of income coming in per month, right? Mm-hmm. How do you break that up percentage wise, or what do you recommend percentage wise of like each of these different accounts? Because you don't want to skimp on some, well, you can be mm-hmm. boosting some other ones, right? It, I guess it just depends how much is coming in, but I think that's what yeah. people will question. They're like, great, I have money coming in. I only have like thousand bucks left over a month or, or 500, maybe even, even less, right? Like where mm-hmm. do I disperse this? Definitely. So let's start high level. We'll, you, we'll use you as an example. Um, are you still working for Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. Okay. So number one for you, like you guys need, both you guys need to open up either a SEP IRA or a solo 401k. You're losing, like you're you're leaving money on the table, like not having that set up. So while we're still while we still have our W two jobs, you could have both. Cool, didn't know that. So like that's a huge because the name of the game for you guys is like, how can I make sure my taxable income is as low as humanly possible legally? Like how can I lower my taxable income? And you do that through four hundred one ks. You do that through um, solo four hundred one ks or a SEP IRA which are um, for um, entrepreneurs or just like, you know, businesses of one or businesses of two. Um, And then in terms of investing for your kids, you can start investing for your kids before they're born. I have a 529 account for Mark Jr. And he's not even a thought like, and I have enough money in there now that I can stop contributing and it would easily pay for their schooling when they go off to school. And I set that up in 2013. So with, with the 529, I think the only pushback that people would, would give is right. Like, Hey, like say they don't end up going to college. Like what mm-hmm. if I, you have a hundred grand saved in there and then they just like, you know, it just college is that only for school. That, that's what I, I wanted to ask them. I think, I think yeah. it's based around education. So I get that question often. And my question back to any parent or soon to be parent is like, do you want your kid to get an education higher than high school? Right. Most would say yes. Yeah, I say most would say yes. I think it depends. It was, you know, we will say yeah, like because yeah. like what what's a high school degree? I mean, albeit you can you can do whatever you want. You become an entrepreneur and make shit ton of money, sure. But like most parents want you to go off and get a certificate when you go to, off to trade school. They want you to do something, right? Like <laughs> go to the military, whatever it might be. They want them to have a higher education. And if you're using the five twenty nine money for an accredited um, program, which if your kid wants to go to a computer science school through Google, whatever might be there, you know, sure. 10, 20 years from now, they can use that money and have the same tax advantages. 
So the biggest misconception with 529s is that you have to use it for college. Sure, you can use it for college. Most people use it for college, but you can also use it for all the things I just mentioned. In addition to using it for elementary school in uh, some states, or if they are homeschooled, if they go to like private school, you use it for uniforms. Like kids now, they use laptops. Um, when I was coming up, and maybe you guys too, like I didn't have a, like a laptop didn't exist. So like nowadays, like the kids need that stuff, and they can use five twenty nine money for that. So like say you send them to a private high school, and that costs a shitload of money. Well, yeah, if they that? go to Malvern Prep, yeah, they can yeah. use that money for that. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then obviously the custodial IRA is for just their retirement, right? But you're starting them off young and let that compounding start to roll. Exactly. Is it 6,000 6, bucks the limit for this year too? Is that what it's at? Um, yeah, for this year. It'll be uh, 6.5 next year. Cool. And I have one more question. Sorry, not to be- Oh, let me, let me actually answer your, your previous question. So you're asking about like percentages and everything. Yes, sorry. I, I think a lot of times people want to look at the percentages and be like, oh, like how should I break it up? It really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Because just because I want to dedicate 10% of my money to go to my future child's 529 account doesn't mean that you guys have to do the same thing. But like a big goal for me is to make sure my kid- didn't have to go through the same shit that I had to go through. Hopefully I'm financially set enough where I don't have to worry about it, but like, I don't want them to ever have to think about that, but that's like a main goal. Your goal could be, I want to retire early. So your percentage that you put into your brokerage account might be higher than mine. Or if you say, Hey, like I want to retire, but I want to retire a filthy rich guy that lives in, I don't know, named a really expensive area in the United States. Like that's your goal. That means you need to put more money away for retirement because you want to buy a boat or whatever to, to sail in San Diego. So I always hear that question. It's like, what percentage? But it really comes down to like how you prioritize your different goals. Hmm. Cool. Thank you for that. Last one for me is um, you mentioned diversifying these accounts too, right? The 401k is kind of structured, you have the um, the target date funds that are in there, right? The, but they're they're kind of, there's a bunch of index funds in there. They're kind of a, a pick a plan and you can work with it, right? But mm -hmm. when you get into your own sphere here, I'm thinking specifically with the brokerage accounts, what do you, how would you recommend people diversify that? I, I follow, um, I don't know if people follow Earn Your Leisure, but the master investor, he has this theory of, of two index funds, two tech as of right now, unless inflation goes over 8%. Is that are you stand by something like that? Or if you had just like a little baseline for people, is it something where you, you pick a little bit, like, like throw a dart, maybe like a Disney and Amazon, whatever. And then like a, a individual stock, and then you mm -hmm. pick a basket of funds and you go index, maybe two index two mm -hmm. individuals or what, what's your play there? Yeah. Basically what, um, the, the master investor Ian, um, what, what he's saying is that you want to make sure the, the majority of your portfolio is diversified and then, take more uh, strategic bets with what he's mentioning is like taking a bet within technology, which isn't a bad bet, especially right now if you're buying at a lower price because of how valuations are with, with tech um, and how inflation impacts tech and, and earnings and all that stuff. So like, I don't think there is much wrong with them. My philosophy is a little bit more general. Um, so Again, make sure the majority of your portfolio is diversified through ETS mutual funds where you're owning the market, right? More than, you know, 507 different stocks across the country, small, um, small, large companies, 
uh, different sectors, growth and value. Like you want to have a mix of all of that. And then I also do believe that you should have maybe a, a smaller percentage in what Ian is saying, but a smaller percentage in, in something a little bit more strategic or something that might be a little bit more risky. So for me, it, it's not a recommendation, but just guidance, you know, choose a couple of companies that you know and you love that you believe is going to be here forever and go for it, you know, put a percentage into it. For me, I put less than 5% into those individual companies because you never know. Like sure. back 20 years um, ago, no one thought GE was going to be where it's at today. Like GE was the top of the world. Like they they owned everything. They had aviation energy. They had literally everything. They had the they had um like microwaves and like they, they just they owned everything. So now GE is nowhere close to what they were before because of poor leadership and and a lot of other things. But who's to say that that couldn't be Amazon, right? So like you really need to be smart about that individual company that you're going into. And you have to believe in the leadership. You have to believe in, you know, you have to look at the earnings. You need to understand what industry they're in. If they're in multiple, like, are they like a major player in that industry? So I guess where I'm going is it's a really risky bet to bet on one company because you never know what that company could do 10, 20 years from now. That's a great example. So for me, it's funny. And it's just something like it's a nostalgic thing, right? And it's by no means for someone to go do this, right? Because I don't have any numbers to back it, but I love Disney. I always grew up on that. And like, mm-hmm. it's low right now. It's it's like almost cut in half from where it was. And I'm just like, but there's questions of leadership and all this stuff, exactly what you said. And I'm like, there's no way Disney goes in the shitter because they have all these themes parks. And I'm like, well, it's very bearish, like on the earnings report and shit, like the projections. So it's funny where I'm like, I sh- I'm getting into it, right? But like very small percentages in the in the event that it does go down, kind of like this mm-hmm. GE, it's kind of mirroring this exact example that you're they're sharing with me. But um, I just wanted to bring it up because it's kind of funny. You think there's a company that can't be taken down, and you just gave a perfect example of one that that can. So yeah, good yeah GE but, was at the top of the world, and like honestly, like in the world that we live in, there each company is like one um, tweet, what, what, one tweet one away, tweet, from- <laughs> one one cancellation of, away from like losing almost everything. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think Kanye is a, a perfect example, but I think it, it's one that relates like within a week, people canceled Kanye, like as as they should for like the things that he has said to a lot of different demographics. And he lost billions of dollars, well, millions of dollars because of what he said. Right. Like he lost the endorsement with um, or just a partnership with Adidas. Where I'm going is that like. If you bet on one company and you put, you know, what some people will do and they'll put, you know, 30, 40 percent of portfolio into one company. Sure, you could make a crap ton of money. But what if you don't? Right. What what if you what if you put your IRA money into you would have put it into GE, which a lot of people did and you just let it ride? Yeah. One of the major factors or like sayings out there is like time in the market beats timing the market too. And that's kind of plays into like picking a stock versus picking the entire portfolio. I'm not huge on the the stock market. I invest a small amount every month because I know that I just want to diversify from real estate. I'm definitely heavily focused on real estate, but I do it every month. 
Um, and I think it's a great time to to continue to do that and continue to buy based on what's happening with with the market and their us being in a recession. Which leads me to my question to you: How do you recommend people invest in a time like 2022 going into 2023, where you know every day there's talks of a recession, people saying it's going to get worse, people saying it's going to get better. I will say the, the time that we're recording, the market is up like overall like eight percent from a week ago. So it's mm-hmm. just like very volatile. And I and I'm wondering, I've I'm loving it in a way because I've been investing the whole time. I haven't stopped every single month I've been investing for the past four years, regardless. So my portfolio went down, it's coming back up a little bit. Just give me some some thoughts there. Do you have some on this exact same question, but it also even more of potential volatility in the markets. Like you hear things going on with with Russia, um, the bombings today, and people are all tweeting about World War III, and you're like, is how's it going to impact the market, right? Everything, everything's so crazy at this time, right? So looming recession, this. So piggybacking off that, like, what do you do, and how are you specifically setting yourself up um, at yeah. a time like this? Yeah. So just a kind of level set. Every year there is something. Every year, like, and I I know this because. Being in the positions that I've been like in the market, there have been endless amount of things where investors were freaking out. Like you name the year, I can tell you something that happened that year where investors were freaking out. The challenge now is that a lot of those issues are are popping up online and more and more people know about it, which creates more of what I call noise. So what I recommend is you ignore all the noise because people have been talking about World War III forever, <laughs> like ever since World War II ended, right? So like, yep, exactly. you know, we, we can't control that. You know, you can't control that. You can't control um, the potholes in Philadelphia. You can't control LA traffic. So you can't control the, the market. And I think a lot of times people think they can by looking at it or thinking, you know, hey, like if I do a, more of an analysis, I can understand like what's going on. Forget all that do exactly what you should be doing. And that is putting more money into the market control what you can control. You can control how much money you put in, how frequently you do that. And like what we just talked about, your asset allocation, like how much money are you putting into different sectors? If you control those three and you ignore everything else, then over the long run, you're going to look back and say, wow, like I'm really happy I ignored all that stuff. Like you need to know like what's happening, right? Because like of safety mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, being a no of the of the noise, but like, don't use that to make decisions within your portfolio. Like the, the biggest thing that would impact your portfolio isn't going to be any of that stuff. It's your own emotions that are going to impact all of that. And that's, and that's the reason why, like as a financial advisor, like people look at financial advisors and they're like, why, why would you hire a financial advisor? And people that don't have financial advisors believe that you hire a financial advisor to tell you what you should you should do with your portfolio. But a lot of times, the most important thing that I could ever done as a financial advisor is keeping people in check during times like 2020, where I don't know about you guys, but even I thought the earth was going to cave in. It wasn't just a market like it was in 2008. It was also this virus that was killing people by the masses, right? So everyone thought, Right. And then what happened at the end of the year? If you if you disappear from the earth in 2000, at the end of 2019, you came back in the beginning of 2021. What would you say about the market? Damn, 2020 was a great year. Right. Like we got, you know, plus 20 percent. There's less people on this earth, like, but like, you know, 20 percent in my portfolio. Right. But what did a lot of people do in March of, of 2020? They sold out. But those people that sold out at that time and went into cash, 
they're way, I was looking at a report the other day, they're way worse off than people that just ignore the noise and just let it ride. I, I could not agree more with that advice. I think that fear drives people to do a lot of different things, whether that's with their money, with their with their time. Uh, it puts people in desperate situations. And I think the best advice that I've ever got is just block out the noise. And, yeah. and when you look at, and I mean all of the noise, the good, the bad, all of it, and just do what you know is going to, what you, I sh- shouldn't say no, it's a strong word, but what you, what you believe is going to work. And the reason why I say that, especially in reference to the stock market, if you look at the stock market from, you know, since the history of the stock market, which has, by the way, been through those, through all the wars, maybe not World War One, I'm not sure, but World War Two, Vietnam, all of these wars that have happened, all of the catastrophes, all of the, you know, um, World, World Trade Center, all of it, yeah, yeah COVID, bubble, all of it, all that stuff, all of it, and it's been up roughly what nine, ten percent. So, my thing is. We're in the same age, right? Now, if you're 65 and you're trying to retire, the advice is probably a little bit different. But right. if you're our age, which is 30s, I don't, I think that it's just, it can be a set it and forget it as long as you have other money to back and live your life off of. So that, that I love the advice. And I, and I knew you were going to say that. I'm glad you did. So I got a specific one here. It's, we, you mentioned it and you kind of highlighted it a little bit earlier in the show, but the the argument between mutual funds and ETFs, right? Mm-hmm. So, can you talk to you know why a mu- you might want to go mutual fund over ETF, or why you go ETF over mutual fund? Um, if there's if it's the same index, right? Let's talk mm-hmm. about like the S and P five hundred, for example. Is there yeah. is there a benefit to one or the other, and or is it just yeah. purely preference? Let's talk about the history of it real fast. So, like mutual funds have been around for a long time, right? So the first index fund was a mutual fund. Um, so when that came out, you know, everyone was excited because basically, I mean, you guys know the structure of it, but you take 507 different stocks and you bundle them together. You buy them all within you know, one you know, quote unquote ticker and people love that. The unfortunate thing with, and you know, you get the diversification, all the things that we just talked about. But the unfortunate thing with a mutual fund is that you have to wait until 4 p.m. Eastern in order to figure out what your price is when uh, the NAV is calculated by the investment firm. Rich people don't like that. They don't like waiting. Um, In addition to that, with mutual funds, you incur, because of how they're structured, you tend to incur more in taxes, which is another uh, conversation about like capital gains tax, which they have to pay out because of how they're structured. So you just mentioned two things like, I just mentioned two things like the inconvenience of a mutual fund and then also how much in taxes you have to pay, two of which rich people hate. So over time, this guy by the name of Nate Most back in like the 90s came around and said, hey, like, what if I can create the same exact thing where you can trade in and out of the mutual fund like you can like a stock? And when you buy in, you get the price that you you um, you know you initially wanted. And then also because of how this structure is, um, or how this vehicle is structured, maybe vehicle is the wrong word, this investment is structured, um, you don't have to pay as much in taxes, right? And the rich people are like, yeah, like we want that. And basically that was the, the evolution or like the beginning of ETFs, which I don't know why I didn't call it mutual fund 2.0, but whatever, like he's much smarter yeah. than I. Um, so when ETFs came around, like that's when people started putting, like it came out in the nineties, but it didn't take off until around, you know, after 2008, 
after the financial crisis. So to your question, like which one? Sure, like you can go with mutual funds and you can still get that, that same diversification, but you don't have the benefits that are already embedded into an ETF. So I mentioned a few, but also with the ETF, you get, um, they have much lower minimums. So you can also do um, like fractional shares with ETFs. And then also um, uh, they're, they're innately like cheaper as well because of how they're structured. Now, there are things that you can't do with an ETF that you can with a mutual fund. So I just mentioned setting up a, like a Roth, um, a solo, um, solo okay. 401k. So with my solo 401k, I have it uh, like automatic contributions. You can't do automatic contributions into ETFs right now because of how they're structured, but you can with a mutual fund. So that might be um, a, a reason why you would use mutual funds. But in terms of diversification and portfolio gains, net of fees or gross of fees, I think you're okay with mutual funds. Well, uh, ETFs. ETFs. ETFs, yes. Thank you. my homework. So it's actually funny, and I don't know, maybe you read my mind or something like that, but that's the exact reason I changed from um, those reasons that you said are the reasons I changed from mutual funds to ETFs. I did a bunch of research on it, and I mm -hmm. wanted to be able to get rid of it if if, if it was driving down, if it's going way up, and just setting my price rather than waiting to close the close for the price to be set. But also, the thing that is tough, and the, the reason I kept teetering back and forth is the auto investing. It it was amazing every week or every two weeks to know X amount was coming directly out of my account, a bank account and going into um, the mutual fund. I set it and forget it, right? That's exactly what it was. It was brainless. And I had a ton of money stacked up. Now with the ETFs, I see the price. I'm like, mm, maybe it'll go down a couple bucks. Maybe it'll, you know, maybe it'll go back up. Should I wait till Thursday versus doing it on Wednesday? And right. then I get in my own head. I'm like, dude, just list, just trust the process, air quotes right. here. But it's like, it's hard to, you got to put in your calendar. You got to go in and, and make sure you're, you're actually doing it. Oh, I have an extra 300 bucks. Mm, you know, maybe I want to put that towards, I don't know, new clothes or something else versus like, like waiting another week to add it. And so there is that temptation, which is hard for the, when you go the ETFs route, I will just say that for people, mutual funds is set it and forget it. But based on all I'm team ETF, said, I, I'm, you sold me too, hundred yeah. percent. Like now I'm team ETF all the way. I have uh, <laughs> mutual funds in my Roth still. And I'm mm -hmm. debating, but I, I probably will convert those um, over to ETF. So. Yeah. And well, performance-wise, like they're likely going to be the same, but normally mutual funds tend to be more expensive than ETFs. So for anyone listening, like you can do well with both, but just keep in mind that ETFs tend to be cheaper. We get this question a lot. I want to I want to hit you with it because we mentioned Vanguard a ton, right? I love Vanguard. I also love Fidelity. I just love their interface. It's just, it's just like uh -huh. cleaner to me. Same. Um, excellent. So yeah, I'm Team Fidelity. Hate me to too. Say, but me, I love Fidelity. Me too. I actually converted my Vanguard to yeah. Fidelity, except for my Roth. However, that thing's going over because I just want one app. Uh, but I I want to ask this because we get this a lot. It's like we'll send out uh, mutual fund and ETF equivalents of uh, specific index funds, like the. Uh, total stock market, S&P, right? Just like the, the basics, right? For people to bond, but people always want the interchangeable. They're like, well, hey, can you can you send me the Fidelity version of these Vanguard ETFs? My question to you is, say you have Fidelity, are you, would you recommend people or guide them to still invest in the Vanguard ticker symbols if they have the Fidelity um, platform? Is like, what would be the reason not to do that? There's a little bit more fees and and say people are diehard Vanguard, but they like the Fidelity software, mm -hmm. you know, kind of what's your, what's your play there? 
Yeah, because some brokerage firms like, you know, kind of taking the names out of it, but some brokerage firms will charge you more for buying into funds that are not their own. Um, or if it's like a, if it's not a fund that they already like approved. So that's one thing you want to keep in mind along the same vein of like just keeping your expenses low. Some companies might charge a, another fee for you to trade or for you to buy or whatever. So, um, but I, I agree with you guys. Like I'm a Vanguardian. I'm, I'm a past crew member, but I hate the Vanguard platform. And they've had this issue since I've been there. Um, so I, after I left Vanguard, I started investing into Fidelity or just having my money on Fidelity's account. So right now, or Fidelity's platform, right now I invest into Vanguard funds, which they do really, really well. And I have it on the Vanguard platform or the Fidelity platform. So Fidelity platform, Vanguard funds. <laughs> That's great. Very cool. It's cool. So I'm, I'm doing the right thing. You're doing the this right thing, man. Me feel Doesn't good. your wallet feel a little bit better? Oh. oh. <laughs> How about that? Your wallet? I like yeah, it. Yeah, okay. That was fire. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, we have a couple segments. <laughs> good. Yeah. A couple segments left before we wind down the show. Um, one, we just want to talk a little bit about Better Wallet, right? And just talk to us about your community. I know you brought it up a little bit in the in the episode, but like... You have over 156,000 followers on Instagram. I know that's your main place. Like, what do you provide uh, in the in in to your you know people that are following you, and what are you trying to get out of this community that you started? Definitely. So the the goal of Better Wallet is to help you streamline your money so you can invest more of it for you and for your you know future kids to build true generational wealth. Uh, my community members know I'm all about putting hammocks in your family tree. That's like my big thing. Um, I want you guys to not have to worry about money into the future because I know how I grew up and money was a big topic, but it wasn't financial management. It was how are we going to keep the lights on? <laughs> how are we going to you know, afford the next meal? Whatever it might be. I don't want you guys to have to go through that. So I talk all the time online um, on primarily Instagram about that topic. So I break down not only how to invest, but also the budget, how to pay off debt. Um, if you want to become an entrepreneur, like how do you go about doing that? Because again, like I want you to play offense and defense. I want you to make more money and then also manage the money you currently have. Um, in terms of how I go about doing that, not only posting, but I also have my podcast, the Better Wallet Podcast, where I talk about a lot of these topics that we talked about on here, but also I bring in guests, like I need to get you guys on and talk about different topics, let it be real estate, or if you want like an email marketer, like copywriting, or, you know, I had someone on that was talking about, um, you know, Airbnbs and like basically having Airbnb, but not even owning the real estate. Um, yep, arbitrage, like, right? Say again? Arbitrage, right? Airbnb ar yeah. arbitrage. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So like a bunch of different financial topics that a lot of times are outside of the realm of like budgeting, paying off debt, employer sponsored plans, investing in general and tax management. Um, and then how I go about doing that on a day-to-day -day basis and like what I offer as resources is we, we talked about the, the checklist, um, but also I, I host a free class at the end of the month. It's actually next week um, at the end of the month where I walk through like what is an ETF, what's a mutual fund, like how can you streamline your money, um, you know, and, and different tips and, and tricks that I've learned early in my career. And I do that every single month. And I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. And then I hold uh, like a Q&A at the end. And, and it's really my goal 
to make sure you go into each month knowing exactly what you need to do with your money. Um, and then obviously I, I have a course as well for anyone who's like truly serious about like, getting their money together and you want to do it within two months. I can literally revamp or you should say, I should probably say remodel your entire financial picture within two months using this program and get you invested. That way you can make sure that, you know, in the future, you don't have to struggle with money anymore. So can you, can you uh, break down that program again? So you, is it like one-on-one consulting and you'll go through everybody's like their back end? Hey, yeah. you know, I have X amount in this account, their whole picture. Right. And then you set a plan for them. Right. So think of it this way. So a lot of people that come my way and a lot of people you know kind of struggle with this is that they want to change their financial lives and they want to do it from A to Z. And you guys are in real estate, so you guys know about like remodels and all that stuff. They're just like, hey, like I need to get on a budget. I need to pay off debt. I need to start investing. I want to start investing for my kids. I want to make sure I'm not paying too much in taxes. I want to make sure I'm taking advantage of my my HSA, FSA, whatever. It's probably one of the most, if not the most comprehensive program out there where I talk through all of that. So up, uh, I think we're at 15 hours of comprehensive videos where I'm walking through step-by-step step how you open up these accounts, how you start budgeting, what an emergency fund is, how you can start it, like where you build like your HSA, like all that stuff. I walk through it. And then at the end, we talk about tax management. Then there's a bonus module that specifically talks about how you invest for your kids from A to Z. And we're working on other bonus modules now, like how to negotiate your salary at your nine to five, and then also how to get your, your credit in order. If you are at a point where it's like, hey, like my credit score isn't where it needs to be. Um, so, and we continue to build out more and more modules. So my students get all that for free. That's just one part of the course. On top of that, I also offer one-on-one um, -on -one guidance with just me. So my students know they have direct access, access to me through text, through DMs. Um, they are prioritizing my DMs. They also have email support. And then um, step number three or, or part number three is that we have group coaching sessions. So every Tuesday, well, every other Tuesday at 8 p.m., we come together and we just talk about whatever the topic might be. Last week, we were talking about student loan debt. Um, next week, we're going to talk more about like HSAs and how you can use HSAs in order to invest and then use that money in order to reimburse yourself for past health expenses. So basically, it's like another uh, emergency fund. So we're going to talk about that in detail. So in general, it's a comprehensive program where I give them my all and they have all access to me. Um, and then also you get the course and worksheets and templates that are completely can revamp your finances within two months. Um, but that's uh, that's the course and um, we're, we're building on little by little. I talked to you guys about the summit. That's going to be a part of it. Um, but that's uh, that's the entire program. That's incredible. Wow. Cool. Thanks for the breakdown. Sounds like yeah, man. And we we've met um, we've met we've known you for, I mean, over a year now. We met you in person so we can attest that. Everything is is amazing. It's super legit. So hopefully people will, after listening to the show, want to... Yeah, he's a real person. It. Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of people on the show, but there's only a few of them we actually met in person, right? So mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe more than a few now, but Mark's one of them. So excited to point people in your direction. So that's awesome. Definitely. Uh, we made, we've made it to the core four, and, and we'll get to know you a little more personally in this section. So question one is, what is your favorite maybe investing or business book that's helped you in your journey? 
All right. So let's talk like business first. There's one that is, uh, so from Jim Collins, he has two, from Good to Great, and then um, Great by Choice, both by Jim Collins. So those two are, are really good, just getting your, into like a business mindset. And then um, other books, financial books. Um, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is like, that completely changed my life. Like when I started the FIRE journey, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was at the top. Awesome. Cool. So uh, second question is, if Corey and myself gave you, or Corey and I, give you a check for 50K today, how would you invest it and why? 50K. Do I have to invest it? I can't just... No. Well, how, would you, know. how would you spend it? I can't just go on a trip somewhere? Like, you can tell me that's what to the, do with my money? That's the best part of the question. You can do whatever you want. What would you do? That's um, how you know you have enough dough. It's <laughs> good. All right. So if I have 50K, all right. So 10,000 would probably go towards something that I know is going to make me more money down the road. So I, did we talk about it before? Like, I want to buy... Can I tell you guys? I want to buy a camera. I want to get back in like videography. So like, that's going to be a lot of money. So I would do that because I know I can make that up within a year. Another 10 would probably go into like, uh, I talked to you guys earlier about like getting into the right rooms. There's a mastermind that I have my eyes on that is $10,000 in order to get in. But I know if I get into it, I'm going to be connected with people that make that in a day. So that would probably be another, uh, the other 10,000. I'd probably invest 20,000, 10 going into brokerage, the other 10 going into um, retirement. And then the other 10, man, I'd probably blow it somewhere, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'd probably yeah. go on some amazing trip, um, maybe like Bora Bora and just have a fucking ball. Um, there you go. Where I go People to... are too afraid to say that in, on, the, on the show that they would go on a trip with it. Because if somebody gave me 50 grand, I would probably take 10,000 and go on a trip right now at the position yeah. that we're in. And like, Invest the rest, you know? It's like, so good, great answer there. For sure. Yeah, I, I go to a Greek island and just fucking have a ball and just Dude, buy, Greece is amazing. buy like, bottles like, and just live it up. Yeah. Invite you guys, of course. <laughs> there of you course. Go. Appreciate there you go. You buy, are you buying the whole trip or are we well, paying? We gave, oh, we gave you the money. We have to come, <laughs> come on the trip, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, but only only 10K of that 50 is going towards that trip. So, right. I mean, as long as you guys are cool, like flying, you know, coach, I mean, yeah, that's cool. cool. That's cool. Rent the catamaran. That's good. So, question three: What has been your biggest mistake in your investing journey, and how have you learned from it, Mark? Um, so there there are two types of people in this world. I'll start that way. You have people that believe that they can beat the market over the long term by investing into individual stocks. And then you have people that invest into index funds because they used to be person number one. I wish I expedited that quicker because even working at Vanguard, which happens to be one of the largest mutual fund companies or largest index fund companies in the world, I still thought I could beat the market by investing into individual stocks. And I lost money that way. I would just say lost money that way, um, thinking that I could beat the market. Um, I wish I could have expedited that, albeit it was only like a couple of years of me being like, let's try it out. Um, but if I could expedite that, that would be um, that would be nice. And I would say that that's my biggest like financial mistake, but cool. I cool. learned from I, it. 
I get a piggyback on that too. And I'll, I'll say if I was asked this question now, it, it would be doing more research in, into crypto or things that I'm getting invested in. I did, I was dollar cost averaging into uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and someone close to me recommended I, I move my, um, my coins, if you will, for, I guess that's what they're called, from my coins from one wallet to another wallet, like basically you another program. Money? Uh, FTX? So, dude, so it was, I moved it from Coinbase to Voyager, which was, uh, it's a smaller program, but basically they would, um, for staking or like keeping a certain amount of coins in their program, they would, you know, pump you up, right? And give you like X, X percent per month. So I'm like, oh, great. It's another way for me to add on. I ended up getting about like 20K worth of, of crypto altogether in this account. And wow. then the company filed for bankruptcy and it froze all my funds. And then now we're like in, they're in like legal terms to get bought out by another company. Guess who the company that was going to buy them out was FTX. FTX. Yeah. And now I'm back to square one where I, they, you know, I have, I get email updates of like, Hey, like we're still trying to get bought out by another company. You know, hopefully Binance comes in over the top and gets it, but I'm not going to ever get a hundred percent of that 20 K back. And for me, it's like, I just wasn't, I wasn't educated enough on the protection and the security of what you need to do is like, you can't have your coins on certain platforms. You need to take them out and put them in cold wallets or hard wallets, whatever the fuck they call them. But now I know it's like, dude, just kind of stick with your bread and butter. It, it sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. However, I had most of my investments that was discretionary income. I'm okay with losing it. And that's why I'm not so pissed off telling the story, but it's for, to warn others that it's like, Hey, don't put your life savings into something that you don't know about. And it kind of goes to your point. It's like, Hey, I'm not, I tried beating the stock market and be in, in beating the index funds. And you, you just kind of can't do it. Even Buffett can kind of do it, right? Like he can do it, but not, there's no perfect person. Right. So just kind of mm -hmm. stick with the indices. And for me, like that's what I'm going hard into outside of real estate. It's like, I just, I'm more of a conservative guy outside of real estate. Right. That's, that's a gamble. I guess it's not, it's not really a gamble, but you're, you're leveraged, you're leveraged more, right? It's more creative yeah. than the other stuff. So, so yeah. needless to say, that's my warning is like, if you're going to do crypto, just educate yourself, please, because I got burned and I'm still working through it. So I'll update you on I hate crypto. And I mean, I you're, you're one of not many people that will actually admit that though. Like yeah, exactly. think of all was, the creators online that pumped crypto like crazy. Oh, get into this, run this play. Like, Oh, yes. this is going to be a new hot token, whatever. Put your money on the, on the FTX. One of the proudest moments I've ever had as a business owner is like when everything happened with FTX, I felt I, I, I slept well at night because I not once promoted crypto on my page, like a crypto platform. And I always stuck to let it be less than 10% of your portfolio at the absolute most. And I stick to five and I can sleep well at night because I, I see what's happening here. And albeit like I, I believe, I still believe crypto is a, a long-term, like down the road, like I'm sure it's going to be an asset class. I just don't think it is right now. We don't have enough uh, history and, and a track record with crypto, but we truly don't have a track record with the platforms that they're on. That's what that's what like the risk truly is, because you don't know if these companies are going to be around and they have no reason to protect your funds. That's the reason why the government is take over. <laughs> so to this point, it's actually I'm glad we're having this conversation because you also mentioned you liked the Fidelity platform. I also mm -hmm. I got an email yesterday. Bad timing, horrible timing. Actually, it was as soon as FTX went under and it, like they're tracking this dude's flight to he's like they're saying he's he's. 
FTX got hacked for 477 million, but then they're thinking it's an internal play, whatever. Needless to say, Fidelity said, hey, we're going to be offering crypto to like you to be able to invest in crypto under our platform. I'm like, dude, is this a good thing? Like, I'm a little bit nervous now that I have all like my retirement dough in there. It's going to be on a specific account, right? I just don't know what's going to be FDIC insured. And like, do you have to have a cold wallet or whatever this is? So do you, have you heard about that yet? Or is it so I new? I did. Yeah. I, um, so my whole mantra is that I only look at my investing accounts when I'm putting more, more money in, especially during times like today. And I saw that and I, I shook my head because Vanguard would never, <laughs> would never do that. Um, but these companies are companies at the end of the day, right? Like they are chasing the, the dollar. And you could look at this and say like, Fidelity, it's poor timing. Like, why would you do that now with FTX and all this stuff? But you could also say that what better timing to do it, right? Like we're at the, the bottom of the, the crypto market, quote unquote. And if you truly believe in the long term of crypto, like maybe they could come back and like Fidelity would be, you know, obviously take advantage of that. Um, so I say all that to say, like, I don't I don't know, like hopefully long term crypto does well and, you know, Fidelity makes the bet and, and you know, it ends up working out for them. But at the end of the day, they're they're companies, right? They're going to they're going to chase the dollar and the dollars that they're trying to go after happens to be happens to be crypto. So. I guess we'll see. I think they're trying to be innovative. I think they're trying to uh, cater to the the younger audience, right? Because like the kids nowadays, they don't really know about the Fidelities and the Vanguards and Charles Schwab's of the world or T. Rowe or whatever. Because um, you have all these like different platforms that haven't been around that long. And they're trying to bridge that gap, given that millions and billions and I guess trillions of money are going to be going from our parents to us within the next you know 20 to 30 years. So I think they're yeah. trying to bridge that gap. Cool. Great insight. Thanks. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's interesting, man. I'm just like, don't move my money from my retirement accounts into crypto. And they're gonna be really yeah. safe. It, it it sounds like sexy on their platform and everything, but like I think they know I hope they know better. Um, that you know, you shouldn't you should learn from the mistakes of all the other platforms. Sure. So likely they're gonna have that in like a completely different silo, but I don't know. We'll see. Cool. So the last question of the core four is, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? So the main the reason I'm asking this question is like, what's your why? What gets you out of bed every morning to do what you do? And, um, you know, like, guess, give us your overarching why. Yeah, no, deep question. I appreciate it. Um, so let's start off with, so my, so my dad, when, so I mentioned he passed away um, in 09. When he passed away, this is how great of a dude he was. This guy, even though he was a Cowboys fan, I should add that in. Um, All right, great 99, guy. 99 out of 100 now. Okay. He had to have two different funerals, one up north and one down south, because of how many lives that he impacted. He would, every week, he would have like cookouts where he would feed people across my town that didn't have the money in order to put food on the table. Like he would give, he worked at Mead. Um, so you guys probably know about like Mead five-star notebooks and all that stuff. He worked in a factory where they provide those. Every August, we would give out five-star notebooks to kids for free. We'll give them literally backpacks and he pay for it. So I'm, I'm bringing that up because a lot of what I do is because of um, Big Russ. So his name was Big Russ, um, first name Mike. Um, so Mike Russell. Um, 
And if I can have half of the legacy that my dad had, where he didn't make a lot of money, he wasn't rich like at all, but people knew like how he impacted their lives. If I can be half of that, I, I would say that I'm, I'm doing a great job. Um, he didn't do it through finance. He did it through giving back, um, you know, housing people that didn't have a house in, in our home um, and, you know, feeding them and things like that. But hopefully I can do the same thing through finance. And if I can, I will die being a very happy person. Well, that was one of the best answers we ever got. And um, <laughs> I think you're doing it, uh, which is awesome. And what do they say that you, you know, you, um, people don't remember what you tell them or how, even how you said it, but how you made them feel. So yep. that evidently your dad did had a major impact on the people around him. So, and that's really all you have after you go. So, and we yep. talk about this type of stuff, legacy type stuff on the podcast all the time. I love talking about it. So what an amazing answer. Thank you. Um, we made it to the last drop. In the last drop, we want to know, let's say you got a chance to go back and talk to your 18-year-old self, look him in the mirror, whether or not he would listen, who knows, but what would you tell 18-year-old Mark? Um, so 18 was, uh, uh, 18, 19 was a crazy time for me because that's when I was going into college, well, leaving high school, going into college and when my dad passed. And if I could talk to him, um, I'd probably just tell him like, everything's going to be okay. Cause the darkest times I've ever had in my life was at 18 and 19, where I was just figuring it out. I was going to uncharted territory where I had to go off to college. And I was around people that frankly, I wasn't used to being around. Like I was used to being in the hood and being surrounded by entrepreneurs that didn't pay taxes, but sold things that made money. Um, so it was just, it was different. Right. Um, but I would just tell them that, hey, like, it's okay. Like, life is much better at, you know, 32. Like, you're going to figure it out. And you're going to figure it out because of everything that you have and, and everything that you went through. Um, and I also would probably tell them, like, you know, just because you got dealt bad cards in life doesn't mean that you're a poor card player. Frankly, you become a better card player because you were dealt better cards or you, you were dealt worse cards. Um, and I think that would give, mark of 18 19 a little bit more confidence to kind of move through life in the way that i should um because obviously it pans out because of a lot of the intangibles that have nothing to do with money that was awesome that's another <laughs> mic drop yeah, yeah man that, well, that's a perfect way to wrap the episode yeah seriously uh mark you have an incredible story thank you for being so open honest transparent with us and just kind of giving us peek behind the curtain on who you are and i think sure we learned a lot today, um, as always, every time we do talk to you. So thanks for impacting us in a positive way, but also for the thousand people listening. Like, this is awesome. They're, uh, I can't wait for people. We're just going to, I know we're going to get a lot of good feedback on this episode. It was super tangible advice and just a feel good story. So we appreciate you very much. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Um, yeah, guys, if you, if uh, for the audience, if you guys want to connect with me, connect with me on, um, on Better Wallet, B E T T E R, and then Wallet. Um, I'm on Better Wallet on Instagram, TikTok, um, as well as Twitter. And we're working on a couple other channels um, like Pinterest and, and YouTube as well. So more to come with that. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, for Mark. Sure. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. 
If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.